0: Hi, I'm Daniel Burkholder, and welcome to Act React, a podcast exploring improvisation through conversations with remarkable artists. Today marks the beginning of a new season of a bunch of conversations that I'm really excited to bring to you. Starting off today with Ruth Sepora, who I'll, I'll introduce in a moment. One thing about the new season is that in addition to this podcast, um, we have started a YouTube channel. So because, you know, Zoom and video conferencing is so common now, it's the way we do the interviews and record the interviews. So it's really easy to have the videos ready to just post. So I'm really excited to add this layer, the offering video so you can see us having our conversations in real time. So please check that out if you'd like. Otherwise, this podcast um, will carry all the same material Um, today. I have the privilege of bringing you this conversation with Ruth Sephora. I'm sure many of you know who she is, have studied her work, or had the pleasure of seeing her perform. I remember I got to see her perform many years ago, I could say decades ago, when I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area. I saw her at a performance space called The Marsh. I, I don't even know if it still is there. I would be impressed if it is with all the crunch of space that has happened in San Francisco, but it was, the performance was really a remarkable demonstration of the the depth and breadth of her abilities as an improviser. It it really has stayed with me um, all these years later, so I was really excited to be able to talk with her. I've studied her work with other people and through some of her writings. So I was a little bit familiar with action theater, but it was great to kind of get in there and have this conversation with her. So I'm gonna just read a a little little excerpts of her bio, and then we'll jump into the conversation. So called by the New York Times, an improviser truly living the moment. Ruth Zapor has been creating, honing, and teaching her art of improvisation for over five decades. She is the creator of a unique improvisational physical theater method called action theater, which is now practiced and taught by students all over the world. From the start of her experimental classes and performances in Berkeley, California in the 1970s, to the inception and development of action theater as an art form, through the elegant distillations of her work in recent decades, Ruth's career and legacy mark her as one of the foremost theater pioneers of her generation. Ruth is the author of several books in action theater, has received choreography grants, as well as numerous tributes and honors throughout her career. And she currently lives in Santa Fe, Mexico. That doesn't even really begin to touch on her work as you'll I'm sure see as we go into this conversation. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Ruth Zapora. Welcome, Ruth, and thank you so much for joining me on the ACT, REACT podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me this morning.
1: What do you call these? What do you call it?
0: It is ACT, REACT podcast.
1: A-C-T? R-E-A-C-T.
0: A-C-T slash R-E slash ACT. So ACT, That's REACT. Great. That's
1: great. That's yeah. Great. Light off. Okay. <laughs> is that all right? without that
0: light it's a little dark but i I, if it's more comfortable for you it's fine let me
1: do this okay okay that should be a little better
0: awesome yeah that's yeah that's better that's wonderful yeah
1: kind of ghostly before
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know i was um i was reading or rereading the improvisation on the edge and kind of going through some of those essays and stuff like that. And actually, in relationship to the title of this podcast, act react, there was one little quote that jumped out at me, of course. And it was, I react, instead of imagine.
1: Really, I said that?
0: Yeah, you did. Well, you wrote it down.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I Okay, this is so wrong.
0: <laughs> Tell me why that is so I wrong.
1: The Context was where that appeared. Because uh, the, the one of the major components of the practice is, is to not react, but to imagine. Because mm. react, reacting, it, it usually has to do with a, a um, non thought out response. It's just like you touch something hot, you move your hand away, or you see somebody who looks scary and you go the other way. You know, it's an emotional reaction, and, yeah. and improvisation has no room for that. Mm. At least the the kind of improvisation that I do. Sure. So yeah. So anyway. Um, I would pay pe- you have to no, let okay. me know what page okay. that
0: okay. Was I will, I will, I'll have to find I don't know if I can find it right this second I should okay, have marked no, it but
1: need to look now
0: but when
1: you find it yeah. what the
0: context was I'll let I'll let you know definitely okay. um so what is it so then what is imagination how do you practice that or how do you engage that in your practice what does that mean for you
1: well I never go at it directly, but when you're in a embodied practice, the body is giving you so much information that you know that's not not anything that you can react to. Oh, that feels good. That feels bad. Oh, I'm, that puts me in a bad mood, or that makes me happy. We don't deal with emotional stuff at all in this practice, at least at the skillful level. You know, mm-hmm. the beginning level. That's unfortunately what it's all about. Um, and so uh, the body. Uh, has a language of its own that is indecipherable. And when that connects with uh, images, then the imagination triggers. How that works neurologically, I don't know. I would love to know how that yeah. all works. But um, uh, a reaction is predictable. You know, we like something, we don't like something, we want something, we don't want something we're afraid of something, we're brave, we're not afraid of anything, you know, that whole that whole uh, inner dialogue is not relevant to improvisation because we're creating sort of dream worlds mm. in this practice. And I, you've probably seen some, maybe Cassie, you've seen her do performances. I mean, there's nothing emotional going on there, although audience members might because um, our culture doesn't give us access doesn't doesn't give us literary or social access to another intelligence that we have. Okay. And so if anybody puts the slightest expression on their face, we call that an emotion. Hmm. But you know, emotions, if you can name what you're experiencing, that would usually fall into an emotional category. If you can't name it, then it's dreamland.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Okay. And that's imaginal.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, like the, the thing, as you say that, I'm wondering how much emotions are kind of socially, culturally constructed for us. I,
1: I do believe that they are, Daniel, because there are different cultures that don't have the same emotions that the Western cultures have. Yeah. Tribal cultures, or islanders, some island cultures, or some Asian cultures, you know? I mean, and then there, and then there's like sadness, and there's grief, and there's joy, and there's, you know, things that everybody shares yeah but but that's not going to get you on a psychiatrist's bench or <laughs> bed or whatever they do i've never done therapy so i don't know <laughs> i don't want anybody messing with my mind
0: <laughs> i've always i i've done some therapy and most i just sit in a chair you know <laughs> um that's of I wonder if that kind of I don't know if there's a bridge here, because uh, one of the other things that struck me as I was kind of going through the book again is thinking about meditation and Zen practice and and it seems how much that has informed or or brought information into your improvisational practice. So I wonder if you can just speak to that a little bit. Uh,
1: I, w- I went to I was in dancing school from the age of three and Hebrew school from the age of six, I think. <laughs> And so, uh, I, you know, Hebrew school in those days uh, was quite limited. You didn't really get any philosophic information. I was taught to read and write Hebrew, but, and I was taught the biblical stories. But every time I'd ask a question that was of interest to me, I was told, well, you have to go to rabbinical school for that, which women aren't, weren't allowed to do anyway. So so I would ask my father all these questions, and you know, he didn't know, I mean, but he gave me when I was 17, and I don't know why, I mean, it was shocking when I look back on it, What? what how would he even know about this? He gave me autobiography of yogi to read, and that changed my life at 17, and so then I started seeking uh, those kinds of answers about what, am, who am I, what am I supposed to be doing here, what's this all about, is that real, is everything that I see real, I mean, and then we get back to the imagination again. And so that's what triggered my uh, interest and for many years, devotion, not anymore, but for many years, uh, you know, pretty solid practice and visiting all kinds of um, teachers and people leading, mostly it was Zen practice because it seemed to have less, it, it was more rigorous and being a dance person, I was, yeah. and continue to be a, a, a rigor was what I was interested in, yeah. you know, rather than some kind of softer approaches.
2: Yeah, you know,
0: when I was in high school, I just went to a public high school outside Detroit and in our English department, we had a class called Zen and Emerson so this was in the 80s, in the early 80s, and it tied together, you know, it related kind of the transcendental writers of America mm-hmm. with a lot of the Zen practice and stuff like that. And so really since high school, I, I I have kind of come in and out of meditation practice and Zen, and I also kind of did the Tibetan thing for a little bit and stuff like that. And so um, kind of meditation, mindfulness, all that stuff is, is, is some, a place that I've really connected also that practice of improvisation and... And kind of that meditative kind of state. Um, yeah. Definitely. They, they, and it's interesting because there was, I have another quote that I, this is the last quote, I promise. Um, so you don't Not have fair. to like. <laughs>
2: no,
0: just, okay. Ooh, <laughs> um, and really you, you, you were talking about um, Zen and meditation and improvisation. You said both practices have changed from being something I do to being something I am wherever I am.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it sounds like, Maybe you're, you don't have a kind of formal meditation practice anymore
2: and-
1: uh, Not formal. Yeah. Yeah, not formal where you've got the whole tonka and you've got the candle yeah. and the incense and you're sitting there. No, I don't yeah. do that
2: anymore.
1: Maybe upon yeah. occasion, yeah. but very rarely, you know, yeah. that's not what the practice is about in the long run. I don't think it's mm-hmm. about how you view the world, how you view your life, how you view your, your, your very existence how you how you view your react reactions to things yeah. or are they responses to things they're two quite different things yeah um, so yeah so it's like it it it's a minute it's always present right I, I don't have to sit in front of a candle in order to find it yeah and it certainly affected the uh, action theater practice in a Huge way. I mean, not only for me, but it's the language that I use a lot when I'm teaching as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a good, like, so today, right now in your life, what is interesting about improvisation? What are you kind of interested in exploring, working on, working
2: with?
1: I can't really separate it from my life to look at it objectively. Yeah. You know, from the moment I take the first awakened breath in the morning to the uh, moment I close the eyes and I'm in a dream world or wherever I am I don't know where you go at night um, it, you know just how I pick up the glass of water I'm aware of how I'm picking up the glass of water whereas uh, most of us just pick up a glass of water because we're thirsty we're not paying attention to the lips on the glass you know it's not if it's not an embodied experience we're in our heads a lot functioning yeah. very functional culture we live in and so with enough practice, I mean, there was a group that was just your Cassie's group, who you know Cassie's in the yeah. group, and and she yeah. you know, a whole bunch of people and it, it, the whole you know five of them stayed at my house, a bunch of them stayed nearby we were in the yurt every day of a dance studio in the back field um we We, we were in friesing the whole time, even if we while we were cooking I mean it's a different it's a different way of angling into awareness and perception,
0: yeah. That's lovely. How? And so, because because
1: training for years, I started dancing when I was three years old, training for years of being in your body. I mean, the body, it has a life of its own, you know, and you're kind of partnering with it all the time. And so that is so ingrained in my very being, you know, even my family, we would dance at night, my dad would play the piano, my mom would sing and dance, my brother would play. I mean, I was very fortunate to have a a family that offered me, at even a young age, alternatives to reading, writing, and arithmetic.
0: Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because just thinking about how much our family kind of gives us permission in a way. And you know, I talk about being a male dancer. I started when I was nine years old, taking dance classes, and. Oh. I didn't know
1: that about
0: you. Yes, yes, that's, that's what I do. That's the main thing I focus on in my life is dancing and, you know, and my dad and my mom were amateur ballroom dancers, competitors, uh and, and my dad's dad, well, both his parents were avid square dancers. So I talk about this lineage of, I come from a lineage of men who danced who Mm -hmm. enjoy dancing i mean neither of them that
1: would be your book title yeah yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah completely so it's like there was a a permission and like there was never any question whether it was something i should be doing or should not be doing you know even though i was doing a different kind of dance than they do not social dances but you know theatrical dance or what have you and so i think there's something real truth about that of um when our when our Families offer us permission.
1: Yeah, kind of I think it even thing. goes back beyond our families because they got it from somewhere. Yeah, so it, I, I think it's genes. You know, it's yeah. just like you have black hair, you dance, or you know, you know what I mean. It's like <laughs> right. what you're, born, you're what you're come into the world with. I'm, my dad would take movies, uh, even back in I'm eighty five, so I'm talking about movies when I yeah. when I couldn't even wasn't even walking yet. He had this little movie camera, and there's one clip where I'm sitting on one of my grandmother's lap and there's music going on and I can't walk yet, but I'm like dancing and they think it's wonderful. And you know, all that kind of stuff. So born with it.
2: Yeah.
0: I think
1: born with it. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It it, it definitely feels that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're talking earlier just with Cass and the group who was there and that awareness and how does, and I know a lot of what you've done is teach others to kind of explore um, explore improvisation. How do you start, say, with a group of people who haven't been training their whole lives in, in body practice? I don't. You, don't. you don't. No. You don't. I
1: mean, when I was, uh, you know, I raised four kids mostly alone. And yeah. uh, I would take anybody, anybody, you know, because I yeah. was trying to earn a living. Yeah. But, No, for the past 10 years, no, somebody, they have to come in with skill. I just don't have the, I mean, there are lots of other action theater teachers that happily take beginning people. Sure, sure, sure. I I just, I don't wanna do that. Especially especially here in Santa Fe, it's really hard because um, I've been here for 22 years and there's not in the dance and theater world, there's not a whole lot of emphasis on discipline and learning and skill Mm -hmm. development. It's more about expressing yourself. That's not where it's at for me.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess maybe and maybe in a zoom out a little bit and maybe not thinking about just working with say beginners in the form or something, but in general, like what are the kinds of things that are important of developing uh, an improvisational performer that you're interested in? Well,
1: because of the kind of improvisation that I do, that the first skill is listening to the language of the body. That's yeah. the thing. So there are lots of exercises that that direct a mind to that as content. Yeah. Um, so that would be the beginning. I mean, you know, there are total loads of exercises for that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, And then, and then, and then, of course, beginners are still thinking their way through it. And, you know, we talk about that, but eventually yeah. they realize that that's just a, a block that that. You know they want to name it, it, people want to name what they're experiencing rather than experiencing without a name. Yeah. It's just it, it's just a an it's I don't know how I don't even know the word for that. It's a climate, hmm. right? Yeah, it, it, it climate. And so it, that takes a neurological shift in the brain, and that takes time. Yeah, to build these lo- other kinds of pathways. So. um but right now, you know, I, I just don't have the patience for it.
0: Sure. Of course, I, totally understandable. <laughs> totally yeah. understandable. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I teach a university and I'm, I'm um, for the first time, I'm teaching a beginning modern dance class to non-majors. So oh, it'll be oh, it'll sweet. be many people who have actually never even been in a dance studio before and understand that. So I'm kind of at the other end of gearing up oh, to get ready for all of that. My
1: um, first job. Yeah. it was one of my first jobs i was teaching dance the same thing i was teaching dance at goucher college oh. and 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 in baltimore and then i got this job at towson state college uh, teaching in the theater department and so i thought i was going to go in and give them a dance class but they came in fully dressed. Maybe your students did too. Yeah. <laughs> and with, with shoes and socks, fully dressed, you know, bodies that probably have not even done one push up or anything. <laughs> and so I freaked out and so I said, um, "What do you want from this course?" And they said, "We want to embody our characters." I had no idea what embodiment. Uh-huh. No idea what that word meant, and I had no, of course, pers- no idea what a character. was. you know. And so I out of frustration, I said, okay, well, walk. Just let's start walking. And then that was that did it for me because in dance class, as you must know, everybody's taught to walk the exact same way. <laughs> right? Yeah. Here, everybody's walking different ways. And that that is what triggered it. I never went back. That's what brought me into improvisation. Mm. I thought that was so much more interesting.
2: Yeah.
1: For people to be just be with the, you know, be work with the tools you got, not right. the tools you want to have but
0: the tools you have so yeah. that's that's really actually I love that work with the tools that you have
2: yeah. that's,
0: that's a that's lovely to think about um so so thinking about kind of improvisational performance and and stuff like that kind of like what continues to draw you to exploring to improvising in front of people I mean is that I mean obviously over the last couple of years that's been hard to do but um but in general, that act of getting up in front of people um, without, I mean, I guess that's a question, like, how much do you know before you step on stage? Zero. Zero. Yeah. You know so, the stage, you know the stage, I mean, I mean, basically. I know the stage,
1: I know yeah, what the yeah. going to be, I know yeah. what, the, what the theater is going to be like, yeah. whether people are going to be close or it. you know, I know right, all right. the all that kind of stuff. Right. But, uh, no, I have n- I have no, not a clue. Yeah. No clue what's gonna happen. That's why I do it.
0: Can you say more about yeah. that? Yes, I love that.
2: Because
1: I go into this altered state. And you can't predict, you can't predict the content of an altered state when you're in an unaltered state. That's mm-hmm. not gonna happen. So no, I, right away. I mean, I've been doing this for so long. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, I started performing at Miss Pym's ballet school <laughs> when I was six years old. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, there's no thought that, that, I mean, the no thought thing be, prior to a performance probably kicked in maybe 30 years ago, 25 to 30 years ago. Okay. And, uh And it has to do with the meditation practice. You know, your mind is quiet. I'm not worried. I know I can. Even if I'm not in the mood, I can still pull off a decent show. Mm -hmm. I have that confidence. Yeah. Even though afterwards, I know that I was working it. You know that, but that at this point in my life, that's not going to happen anymore. I would quit if that happened because it's painful. Uh huh. It's not fun. It's
2: painful. Right, right, right. right.
1: No, I want to get on the magic carpet and being taken somewhere. You know
2: right
1: no pain just like dreamland Mm. that's the whole obsession that's why people get obsessed with it yeah because you're finally free of yourself (laughs) and everything and whoever you think you are and whoever whatever you think you like and don't like and are good at and not good at no you're you're totally free of that and you're just being taken you're being taken and you're allowing yourself to be taken Mm -hmm. that's hard for a westerner
0: yeah Do you think, what do you think allows someone to be, to reach that point where they can feel that, where they can experience that, where they can do it consistently?
1: I think consistency is the word and and passion and great desire, because it's not easy. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like you're burning in hell. It is so humiliating and so devastating. And you're so much shame and embarrassment, you know, that, that And, 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 but the other is, but you know, there's this light out there, you know, it's like your meditation practice in the beginning, all it is, is give me aspirin, give me Tylenol. I mean, this, this really hurts. And my mind keeps, it's the same as meditation. And then eventually you don't even have to sit down on the cushion anymore.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. You know, when I'm working with teaching improvisation or working with a group of students or with a group of other professionals and we're kind of preparing um, for a performance. Uh, And I think about this like I, you know, I've, I've, when I was in, I was in grad school around 2000, 2001, and an independent study course that I did was to take your action theater book with a group of friends. And we went through the whole series of the first book. Yeah. Yeah. That
1: was fun.
0: Yeah. It was great. It was so great. And it, it, and I, and I, I think from that, partly from that, I definitely thought about like, oh, how do we continue to break down all of these elements? Mm-hmm. so that we can pull them apart so then later we don't have to think about them we Perfect. we just we just know them Perfect. you know or they're available you know like thinking about space and rhythm and timing and relationships okay. and yeah. like all that stuff like taking the time to like differentiate all those parts to then right. hopefully it call integrates back together um and i always think of this as a, it's like a it's like an arc of maturation Mm-hmm. and um because i think about like i'm also a feldenkrais practitioner so i think thinking about like you know infant development and how they learn how to move is like they eventually they have to learn all the different parts of their body over time and then they can put it back together and move right. more cord you know with more coordination and i also think that this training of improvisation is like that it's like we it is, need to like, it like te- tease it all apart
1: that's right when i was um uh... At some point, I was living in Berkeley. I mean, I lived in Berkeley for thirty years, and I opened a studio with Al Wonder. Do you know who Al? No, is? I don't he know. He Lives in Australia now. And he was with Alan Nikolai's company. Okay. And he moved sure. to California, and, and another and a woman named Terry Sengraf. I'm not sure what state she was from, but she was she combined. She was the first person that brought trapezes yes. into dance. Studio.
2: Yes, yes. So
1: the three of us opened a studio. No. Why am I telling? You? something you said oh darn sorry erase that's that
2: okay. that's all right <laughs> erased
1: <laughs> this is what happens when you get old you know, you Start with this great idea but then you never get to the finish line
0: <laughs> yeah wonderful
1: yeah well I'm, looking, I'm cassie is like really on my back with this to write a third book because the first the one the book that you're referring to is like a beginner's book. These yeah. are the introductory, and then the, then there's a second book called the manual. It's not a book; it's so it's a workbook, and uh, so it's all exercises. And it's mostly about a lot of it is leans on narrative, especially right. for dance people. That's really hard. Yes, really hard to talk. Yeah, it was really hard for me, and thank goodness for Bobby Ernst. You know, really hard for me, and and I couldn't sing either. And thank you, Rihanna. Because we were, you know, we would just have studio dates in the Bay Area. It was a vibrant, incredible. We got money just going practice in the studio. We got, we got money. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So the second book leans on narrative more as far as exercises. Yeah. And then this next book that I'm starting to accumulate ideas is more basic. It's about the eye. What role do the eyes play? in it because most people just look forward, you know, like I'm just looking at you. Yeah. But when you're in an improvisation or you're telling somebody a story, like I'm demonstrating it to you right now of when I was walking through the forest, there were too many trees. I felt so claustrophobic. By activating my eyes, I'm in the experience. Otherwise I'm out of it telling it to you. Mm-hmm. That is so hard to teach people
2: to do. Yeah, that's brilliant.
1: And then, and then there's, so we've got the eyes and what happens inside of a pause a pause has two functions. One of it, one pause, function of the pause is, is, is it defines the rhythm of the actions. They're phrases, pauses, phrases, pauses. Phrases can be short, long, whatever. And then there's a pause. Or if you're working with a partner, you do something or you pause, and then you're experiencing your partner. What, what is your information that you're delivering? A pause is not a stop. The improvisation is continuing in the pause. It's just that you're not moving your bones. The, the eyes and the flesh of the face and the tension of the body manifest how you're experiencing either what the partner's doing or you've ended a phrase and then something new is coming in that pause. And then that takes you into another phrase. So the pauses are very full of content, yeah. but most of the time in most forms, they're not, they're just freezes like, so it's right. that very like internal, very basic stuff that this next book is about.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you say it's very basic, but it also, it's continuing, it feels like you need to be at a certain level to to be able to comprehend even those things that seem simple, but there's so many skills that need to be there before you can actually embody a pause,
2: for example. Yeah.
1: I've been reading lately a a book called The um, Aesthetic Brain, written by a neuro
2: person. Yeah
1: and our brains are wired for beauty and order hmm. and uh so that they're you know definitely beauty but it does, it's not beauty in the pretty sense yeah it's beauty like a sunset or like a tree that's got some greatness to it or a human yeah. being whatever we're wired for that and so i my my the reason why i started investigating it is because i see with my students where if their, if their thoughts get too much in the way the thing's not going to work you have to let the thing tell you what it wants and then it connects to the neural to the to our neurological makeup when you when but that is the let that's probably the final stage of mastery of any art form the final stage did you see that jack jackson pollock film
0: uh which one the uh, doc-
1: it, 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 oh what's the actor's name uh,
0: yeah yeah the, yeah yeah the the yeah. like the yeah. biopic one
2: yeah yeah yes i did
1: There's one scene where the painting's on the ground and he's like splashing paint and it's all a dance right and he and that is a great that if i could find that film or even remember the name of it i could probably look it up that would be a great thing to show students that mm. he, he steps back and he sees the painting and the painting tells him what to do and how to you know, respond, he steps back. He's constantly obeying orders given by the work itself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he has the skills to do it. Right. He doesn't even have to think about skills. At some point, you don't think about skills because the yeah. show is telling you what you need to do. Yeah. And you have the skills to manifest.
0: Yeah, yeah, without a doubt.
1: Great Thank talking you. to you. It's my favorite subject. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, again, I just I, I I don't want to keep you too long and but I really appreciate you taking the time and just sharing okay. some thoughts about improvisation and, and your practices and all that kind of stuff. It's um definitely an honor to include you as part of this podcast in this. My pleasure. Yeah. I, I
1: I like it. I like these interviews because I I hear myself say things that I, you know, surprise even me.
0: Yeah, stuff you need to add into the the next book, right? Maybe so. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks again,
1: Daniel. You're doing great work. I appreciate you really.
0: No, thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Well, thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Ruth Zapora. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Please check out the links below so you can find out more of what she's doing out in the world these days. Next week, um, I will release the next conversation with my friend and colleague, Nicole Bindler. It is a wide ranging conversation about improvisation, politics, somatics, many, we touch on many, many subjects. And as, as I posted online recently, like whenever I have a conversation with Nicole, I always feel like I leave it a little bit smarter and I'm sure you will too. So please join us uh, next week for that conversation. And until then, Live spontaneously. Take care.